0: Thank you, Pastor Laura, for reading for us and leading us in prayer. Appreciate that. And again, we appreciate everybody who's taken the time to join us this morning. I uh, do want to remind you that we're going to do the Lord's Supper together just a little bit later in the service. And so if you've not yet acquired a little juice or uh, some other beverage um, and a little piece of bread to do that, uh, please uh, make sure you do that so that we can participate together in in our communion. Well, not together personally, but we are together spiritually, and so we can still share um, communion together. I took my driving lessons from a guy named James McDermott, Jim McDermott. He ran the, an outfit called Cleverly McDermott Driving School, and so I uh, did my driver's ed with him. That was uh, just a couple years ago, in fact, and um, while I was doing that, <clears throat> he... Um, He insisted that we learn how to be focused when we were driving, which I think is a particularly pertinent message in our day and time with all the phones and the rest of the stuff that's in the car that can tend to distract us. And so then I got my driver's license and on my first day out, my dad let me borrow his car. I may have shared this story with you before. My best friend, Ronnie was with me. We took a tour from where we lived to a a city, a town us called Amherst, Massachusetts, where the University of Massachusetts at Amherst has its main campus. <clears throat> and we were there driving through town and my friend was a little bit of a a bit of a wild guy and he was constantly looking at the girls, the college girls on the side of the street. And so I, being the dutiful friend that I am, I kept trying to correct him. And so I would look over at him and tell him not to look at those girls. I myself was not looking at the girls. I kept trying to correct him for looking at the girls. And one of those times when I looked over at him to correct him for looking at the girls, we were at a stoplight and I took my foot off the brake just momentarily and I tapped the car in front of us, had my first mishap, on my first day with my brand new driver's license. Of course, I was in a panic, I was in my dad's car and wanted to check it out later. It turned out there was a little little kind of blemish on the, on the bumper, but my dad never figured it out and I never shared it with him, frankly. Um, and now he's passed along and you can't share it with him either. But it was interesting to me that our driving instructor had taught us this idea of focus. Now, focus when you're driving, right, is not like a horse with blinders on, right? You're not just looking straight ahead and not paying any attention to what's to the left or to the right of you. Focus is more like, uh, when you're driving, is more like seeing what's in front of you, but also using your peripheral vision to take in the sweep of what's around you because you never know which direction, from which direction trouble is going to come. And that's what life is like, kind of what life is like in the Lord. We uh, have, have to have focused attention on him. In other words, we're looking at him, but we we take in the sweep of life as we encounter it along the way. And that's why the Apostle Paul in the passage that we're going to explore this morning unfolds for us this idea of focus. He's going to talk about the central nature of that focus I'm going to offer up some things that we sometimes substitute for that focus and then we're going to talk about one very specific result of a properly focused life and so properly centering our lives on Jesus on Christ enables us to live the life that he has called us to live so if you have your Bibles in front of you I'm going to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1 I'm going to read just a couple three verses starting in verse 21 if you're watching with us on the website, to the right of the picture, there is a, an opportunity for you to consult a Bible translation there, and there's even a place for you to take notes if you want to do that, and you can download those notes later if uh, something occurs to you along the way that particularly impacts you from this passage of the Bible. So again, Philippians chapter 1, verses 21, 22, and 23. The Apostle Paul, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And then he goes on to talk about knowing that he's going to stay, he's going to remain, and that he has work in front of him to do. But first we need to see the organizing idea in this passage. Paul is focused on Jesus in verse 21. That's what this, for me to live is Christ... That's what that means, a focused life on Jesus. So the center of this passage is him expressing that desire to be properly paying attention to what God has in front of him. But, you know, the apostle Paul, he still had friends. He still corresponded. We know that because we have a bunch of his letters in our Bibles. He still made tents. He had a a real job. and, uh, And that's what he used to support himself as he traveled around the ancient world, sharing the gospel. And I love the fact that the idea of the real job, real life. I had a military boss once when I was in the reserves. He knew I was a pastor. And so one day he said to me, you know what, that must be really great being a pastor. You don't have to deal with real life so much. And I said to him, listen, buddy, I was a reservist, so I could get away with saying, listen, buddy, to my boss. I said, listen, as a pastor, I see more of real life in a week than most people do in a year. And I submit to you, therefore, I submit to you that Paul was no less busy than we are. He was just focusing his busyness on the things of God and the relationships that that focus brought in his direction. Paul did not walk around in a Jesus trance. He uh, took in all of life. But all of life for him was in the context of his focus on the Lord. Now, you've seen those signs, those don't drink and drive signs, or those signs they put up that say the 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 Highway Patrol is on a lookout for those who are drinking and driving, and if you drink and you drive, you can get a, a citation for DUI driving under the influence of alcohol. But here's a thing: I think more of us, and I know this applies to me. Well, I think we need to be uh, caught uh, as as a spiritual DUI, spiritually driving under the influence, and. We should let the things of God drive our attention and drive our purpose. So for me to live is Christ. Paul was under the influence of the spirit of Jesus, and therefore he kept his focus. That was his life motto: For me to live is Christ. But I think it's true that we can observe, right, that sometimes there are substitutes for living with a focused attention on Jesus. We don't always, at least I think, I don't always set out to kind of purposefully or unintentionally displace Jesus, but habit or complacency or becoming enamored with created things instead of the creator can take hold. And it's important for us to realize, I think, that the substitute is not the genuine article. I used to be a Pepsi drinker, and if I have to drink a soft drink, I'll still drink Pepsi. And then they came out with Pepsi One. I got to tell you, Pepsi One? it's not the real thing um, and it, the same thing is true in our Christian life we need to be focused on the real thing but there are some substitutes that we bring to bear sometimes or which draw our attention sometimes like this one instead of for me to live as Christ for me to live as money first Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 the Apostle Paul is writing here as well he says this for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I am not making this story up. I had a good friend who was stationed at an Air Force base in in Utah. It was Hill Air Force Base, still is, Hill Air Force Base. And I had to go there on temporary duty from time to time because of some work I was doing uh, doing for the Air Force and uh, so this friend of mine was there. He and his family were there. I had known them from my first uh, duty station in the, in the military, and he was got moved there. And so when I'd go to Hill Air Force Base in Utah, I'd hang out with him. And, and so the first time I visited him, I said, hey, Wayne, uh, what what were you going to church, man? Because he was a Christian. We had been in a Bible study together. And so he told me about this little uh, Baptist church that he had found, um, and uh, that they were really, really enjoying it, really, really getting plugged in. He and his family were getting plugged in. And... A year later, I had to go back, and he was still there. So I checked in with him again, and I said, Hey, how's it going? How's the church doing? He said, You will not believe this. The church is gone. I said, How does a church go from where it was to being gone? He said this. He said, The church got up, it caught up in members of the church. Got, got caught up in one of those pyramid marketing schemes. I won't tell you which one. But he said, Before we knew it, Almost the entire church was focused on this pyramid marketing, multi level, multi layered marketing thing. And before we knew it, even the pastor had bought into that stuff, and the church stopped being a church and instead was a local outpost for this multi level marketing scheme. Sometimes people who have been eager for money wander from the faith and they pierce themselves with many griefs. So that's one substitute. Another one for me to live is relationships. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus says this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now hear me carefully. Relationships are God designed, but God did not design those relationships to take the place, the rightful first place he is supposed to have in our lives. So some take a biblically appropriate focus on our families and we elevate it to the worship of the family. And here's the thing I've noticed, you may have seen this analogy before, but if we picture God at the top of a triangle and me and and my spouse or you and whoever is important to you in your life uh, on this triangle, the thing is, the closer we get to God, the closer we are to each other. So when, at least in my experience, when relationships are out of whack, I think we can be sure that our focus on Jesus is out of whack as well. Or perhaps for me to live is accomplishment in any variety of arenas, right? Sports, academics, community activities, you name it. But Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, right? You see, God calls us to be excellent in our pursuit of whatever, but that excellence of pursuit is not designed to displace God's rightful place in our lives. I got to tell you, Pastor Laura and I, we are missing baseball right now. We are missing seeing the Red Sox play on TV. We were missing the hope to go see them play here in Kansas City We're missing it. But I think there's been kind of a healthy byproduct from the cancellation of some of these sporting events. And that is, we have an opportunity to realize that sports doesn't demand first place in our, I mean, excuse me, sports might demand first place in our lives, but does not deserve first place in our lives. Or perhaps for me to live is recreation. Now, we have an opportunity right now to, to completely enjoy God's creation in ways that maybe we haven't had before. We've had to kind of take a step back from our normal traffic of busyness, not that we're not necessarily less busy now, but I can't tell you, every day I take a walk, or nearly every day I take a walk, and I can't tell you how exciting it is to see families out walking together moms with kids, moms and dads with kids, moms and dads with grandpas and grandmas out walking together. So we should enjoy God's creation, but not at the expense of enjoying God's presence, not at the expense of acting on God's plan for our lives. We shouldn't make that Romans chapter one, verse 25 mistake that I mentioned earlier, right? Worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator. Now, about all of these substitutes, we should note a couple of things. The first one is none of the substitutes, at least the ones I mentioned, are bad in and of themselves. What happens is they're good things twisted into wrong things or good things elevated to take the place of the best thing, relationship with Jesus. Now, those of you who know me know that I'm not usually a very publicly demonstrative kind of guy. Um... And we joke about my smile stick and all the rest of that stuff, and that's all fine. But I got to tell you, I was out walking yesterday and I was listening, I was pumping gospel music to my brain when I was walking, and I I hit this particular song, I don't even remember now what the song was, but before I knew it, out walking in God's creation, I had my hands up in the air, celebrating the presence of God with me, even during these difficult days. St. Augustine said many, many things, but one of the things he said that is among his most profound He said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And because of this other truth that we need to grab a hold of is that none of the substitutes are ever going to fill the place that God wants to have in our lives. That God-shaped vacuum that Augustine just spoke about in the hearts of women and men is real. And if we are focused on Christ... Like Paul, to live as Christ. God gives us a healthy approach to all those other things, to money and to relationships and to accomplishment and to leisure. A focus on Jesus enables us to take the sweep in of God's created glory and enjoy them in ways we cannot if we're focused on the other things. So, why is this even matter? Because I think it's important to see in this passage. That Paul's focus on Jesus enables him to be productive for the Lord while he's still here. I love this expression of it's almost spiritual ambivalence that Paul expresses here. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You know, I'd rather be there with Jesus. But in the meantime, I'm I'm here. I'm going to do stuff with him and for him. Paul always has his eye toward heaven. Verse 21, to die is to gain. Now, you may have heard the expression before that somebody has been so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. Here's the thing, and this occurs over and over and over again in the New Testament. The reality is that we all need to be heavenly minded in order to be any earthly good. Now, we are in a time of weirdness and compl- complications and health worries that's, that's different than we've encountered before, and our routines have been derailed in some pretty significant ways. And so if we look back in the New Testament in particular, there's this interesting phenomenon that many of the New Testament writers express, and that is this, what did they do to encourage people who were experiencing difficulty in the here and now? They didn't pat them on their head and say, there, 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 it's all fine. No, they they didn't do that. They didn't pretend the hurt was not there or the troubles weren't there. What did they say to people who were experiencing persecution, who were losing their livelihoods, who were losing their family members, in some cases, losing their lives? What did they say to them? They said, hang on. Help's on the way. Hang on. Heaven is real. Hang on. Being with Jesus is a reality. And that understanding of that ultimate destination with God provided the hope provided the perseverance that they needed and that you and I need to endure difficult days. I heard this story one time that the pastor, who's probably from my uh, my former, Bastard, uh, uh, pa- former Baptist days, said something like this. So he said, Who wants to go to heaven right now? And everybody raises their hand, except he notices in the first row there's a kid who didn't raise his hand. He said, Sonny? don't you want to go to heaven little kid said well sure I do but I thought you were getting up a load to go right now I'll give you a minute to think about that but look this focus on Jesus gives Paul the capacity to say in verse 22 he is engaged in faithful labor for the Lord I may have mentioned to you before that before I smartened up and joined the Air Force, I I, uh, flirted with the Army. And the the way I flirted with the Army was in between my sophomore and junior years of college, I went to an Army ROTC summer camp to take the place of the first two years of Army ROTC to get ready for the last two years of it. So I spent six golden weeks in Fort Knox, Kentucky in the middle of the summer. Hmm. My company commander, he locked, He liked for us to walk everywhere, man, we marched everywhere, we even had a an exercise one day where we had marched out like fifteen miles to some remote corner of the base, and we did all our maneuvers, blah 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 blah, sit in the bleachers afterwards, getting the debrief on how well or how well we didn't, how well we did or didn't do, and suddenly, off to the horizon, uh, these billows of dust are being raised on this dirt road, and we look and we see and we go, "Oh my gosh, those are buses." really drab green but to us glorious looking buses pull up every other company except for ours gets on a bus and gets driven back to the post not us no our company commander has us fall in and march back to our barracks we are called to be people who are ready to continue marching for jesus here's the thing our notion of retirement is almost exclusively cultural, made possible by the advances in health uh, in, uh, healthcare, advances in the economy, advances in the, in the, in the, in the overall uh, amount of wealth in the world. But the thing is that God has built us to do stuff. If you look back in your Bibles in the book of Genesis, before the fall, Adam and Eve were given jobs to do. Working is part of our basic construction, and it's not supposed to be discarded at some arbitrary age. In fact, there's only one example of retirement in the entirety of the Bible. It's in Numbers chapter 8, verse 25. And there, those folks who attended uh, the, the temple, first the tabernacle and then the temple, but by maneuvering all the animals around for the sacrificial system, When they got to the age of 50, they could retire if they made it because they were just bone tired, worn out from all that years and years and years of heavy duty work. But that's the only time that this idea of retirement that you and I share shows up in the scriptures. So here's the thing. This, to me, explains the despair that folks experience when they get laid off. I know I've been laid off. I've been there. It's not just that the money's not coming in anymore. There's something deeper about working that impacts us when we're not able to do it. My grandfather used to visit my parents. My grandfather was in Massachusetts and he'd go to North Carolina to visit my parents. And whenever he showed up, he and my dad would come up with a list of chores for my grandfather to do around the house. Now, you might think, well, that's a little weird. He's coming for a visit, but we're going to make him do work. But here's the thing he loved doing stuff why god made us that way so here's the thing god may change our job description along the way you may not have the same job for him at the age of 82 that you did at the age of 22 but you still we still have jobs for him we still have stuff for him to do and it is this focus on jesus This understanding that through personal relationship with him, that the understanding that when we have a personal relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in us and empower us to do the things that he has called us to do. We often get the cart before the horse here. We often say, oh no, we got to work, 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 work and to make God happy. No, that's not it. God graces us with the gift of Jesus. And when we accept that gift, then he says, hey, I got some stuff for you to do. Why, why don't you do that stuff? Why don't you join me in doing that stuff? There's an outfit in the, that has a branch in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's called Manel Chemical Senses Center. It's a research arm. And here's a, a, a thing that they do. I am not making this up. They research body odor. So they have people whose jobs it is to go around sniffing armpits. You're ready to sign up? I, I have these weird ideas. I think, okay, I don't know the day or the hour that Jesus is coming back, but what if you were sniffing an armpit when he came back? I mean, shouldn't we be caught doing something more important? Shouldn't we be caught doing things God has called us to do? I don't think we should be caught, you know, sniffing armpits or other non-kingdom trivials. The focus on Jesus and the focus on our eternity with him is supposed to be the impetus for us to be productive as long as we're here. We need, I think, each and every one of us to grab a hold of this truth that to live really is Christ. To follow him is our call. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this idea that jumps out of the Bible from the Apostle Paul, that we have a focus, and that focus is the work of Christ, and being properly centered on that focus is the thing that enables us to do all those other things you have called us to do. Help us, Father, live that truth.